0: uh, 52.25, it says to begin or to be under. Does that make sense? To begin or or to be under. Okay? Also, it goes on to say to come into existence, not pre-exist. Did you get that? All right. Now, if you're teaching home Bible studies... This, what I'm saying to you, what I'm teaching this morning is important to you. If you don't teach on Bible studies, if you're not involved in teaching people the Word of God, it really doesn't mean a lot to you. But if you're sitting down with people and you're trying to explain who Jesus Christ was, this is very important for you. Because the chapter's teaching you, literally by the words in the Greek, that Jesus, as to His humanity, as to His Messiahship, that He did have a beginning. Okay. That he did not pre-exist in heaven as the Son. As the Son, he had a beginning. He was under. It literally means to come into existence, not pre-exist. Okay? That one little word, being, tells you all of that. Okay? Now, Jesus, as God, had no beginning. But we're not talking about his deity right now. We're talking about his humanity. What when you say "son of God"? What are you saying? The word "son" is what a reference to what? It's to his humanity. Say "son" is a reference to his humanity, his incarnation. It's also used "son of God" to teach you God. Coming in flesh. When you say Son of God, you're saying God came in flesh or God was incarnate. Right? So, sonship has to do with the humanity, but it has to do with God coming in humanity as well. Now, God coming in humanity, then, according to the word here being, means that He came literally, He had a beginning. It was not an eternal existence as is, as to its humanity. It means to come into existence, not to pre-exist. So everybody clear on that? So sometimes you'll hear a term people will use, uh, God the Son. They'll say God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Okay? God the Son is not a biblical term. Son of God is a biblical term. Son of God deals with the humanity of Jesus coming, God coming in the form of a man. All right? So when you say God the Son, you've got a contradiction here. Because God is deity, God is spirit. When you say Son, you're talking about humanity. You can't say God the Son. You can say the Son of God, which means what? Speaking about the humanity of Jesus, okay, God coming in the form of a man. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so this verse right here is very important to understand because those that teach that he preexisted as the Son in heaven and then he came down in time as the Son into the earth, they are completely in error. The Bible tells us that he did have a beginning as to his image, as to him him being a man. He had a beginning that literally, as Therese says it, means to come into existence, not to pre-exist. Okay, we're talking about his humanity, his sonship. Now, he did pre-exist as God, but not as a man. Okay? Okay, so now I want help again. Brother Jared, come help me. Brother Bloss, come help me. So, so Caesar, come help me. Now, in heaven, there are some people that teach. I can stand where you'd like, just sort of in a circle. Some teach that we had the Father. We'll let Jared be the Father. Okay? Representation. Obviously, he's not God. But representing the Father. All right? So, some teach that we had the Father in eternity. Okay? And then we had the. Who was this? You want to be. Yeah. Okay. He's the Son, right? In eternity. And then here we have the Holy Ghost in eternity, right? And they were sort of just looking at each other and they were uh, correlating together, communicating together, seeing each other face to face. But that is not biblical. Amen? In a physical sense, we'd have the son already had a body before he became a person and had a body. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll let the son sit down. And we'll let the Holy Ghost sit down. Obviously, just representation. We have one God, the Father, an invisible spirit, omnipresent, omnipotent. Amen. You couldn't see God. You can see Jared, but you couldn't see God. All right. So in time, the eternal Father that was invisible, invisible spirit, in time, came into the form of a man by the, by, by the virgin birth. The eternal, invisible spirit of God, then, at that time, indwelt the Son. Thanks, Brother Jerry. He came in the form, in time, as the Son of God. Okay? So, come here, Bloss. Then what we have here, if he represents the Son of God, what we have here, obviously, Bloss, is not the Son of God, but I want you to understand. We have the invisible, eternal spirit of God that is everywhere. Okay? When he was virgin born incarnate, he became God incarnate so that the eternal spirit of God was in the body of Jesus. So that when you saw Jesus, you saw a complete and total man. Just like Bloss right here, complete and total man. He had a body, he had a soul, and he had a spirit. But in dwelling that body, the Son, you had the Father, the eternal spirit of God. That's what the incarnation is. Now, as to His incarnation, when God became a man, the Bible's teaching you He didn't pre-exist this way, as the Son. Amen? He began in time, thanks for the Bloss, when He was conceived as the Holy Ghost overshadowed the Virgin Mary, and He was conceived. That's when God took on humanity. So He had a beginning. Again, this doesn't teach the pre-existence of the Son. Because that's not reality. That's not true. Okay? You understand? So again, verse 6. Who being" literally means to begin. It means to come into existence according to ther. Now. Next word. Who being in the form of God. Say the form of God. The Greek word is morphe. Now. This word form means, there's lexicon, it means the outward. Bowers also says it. It means the outward. It means the appearance. It means a bodily form. Did you hear that? That's what that word means. It means to have a bodily form. It's an outward appearance. Okay? Okay. So this is not teaching you the uh, pre-existence of a son in heaven with a body. The Bible tells you as to his body, as to his humanity, he had a beginning in time. And it teaches you that he will come. He came into existence in an outward bodily form. That's what the word form means. It means a bodily Form, his outward appearance okay now I've been studying the word of the Lord for a long time and this is probably the best I have ever understood this passage okay so when we look at the passage then what is what is Paul saying he's telling us there was a time when God came in the form of a man a outward bodily amen appearance and that when God came In that outward bodily appearance, he had a beginning. He didn't pre-exist as the All Alright? Now, Adam was created in the image of God. He had a beginning in time, correct? But whenever the devil tempted him to be like God, Adam fell into that temptation. And he became disobedient. But the Bible's telling us That Jesus Christ did not grasp that as a man, even though he was God, as a man, he did not grasp the divine prerogatives, amen, like Adam did. So let's look at the passage. Verse 7 says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the what? likeness of men okay you with me so far now as to his deity Jesus being God he did not lay aside his attributes there was never a time Jesus as God ever laid aside his attributes he never did that okay he never ceased to be God at any time what the passage is teaching you that Jesus, as God, put on a human a, a human body, external appearance, that form, that image, and began, amen, had a beginning as man, and walked among the earth as God come in the flesh. He never ceased to be God, but as a man, he did not grasp, like Adam did, the divine prerogative of being God. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. So we go on and says here, verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Unlike Adam, Adam wanted to be like God and disobeyed God. But Jesus, when he became a man, God come in the flesh, he didn't disobey God. He became obedient as a man. Say as a man. As the Messiah, he became obedient even to the death of the cross as a man. Does that make sense to you? Okay, verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. This word highly exalted means the highest, loftiest position. Because Jesus, who is God, came in the form of a man in time, had a beginning, and was obedient, even obedient to the death of the cross. As a man, God highly exalted him, put him on the highest, loftiest position. Does that make sense? And the Bible says this, That His name is above every name, verse 10, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what He's teaching you is that we should be like Jesus. We should obey like Jesus obeyed. Amen. We should be willing to humble ourselves. Now, okay. Having given you that, I'm going to read something to you. This is out of O'Daniel, the Christology course by O'Daniel. Now, I took this Christology course. I don't have it with me, but I'm going to read the note out of it. Maybe this will help you understand more. Okay? When God robed Himself in flesh, the divine prerogatives of glory and honor were veiled by flesh, not readily apparent, and he did humble himself to even unto humanity or the humility of the cross. Listen, you with me so far? Okay. His deity did not diminish in any capacity. Right? The fullness of God was in him, including the attributes. To say less is to make him a little God. And that would be Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism. Okay. So what we see here is an Adam Christology. Jesus in the role of the last Adam. Okay, you with me? Got it? Jesus in the role of the last Adam, restoring what was lost in Adam. In contrast, Adam being in the image of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That means he ate the tree, that he might be like God. Right? Right? Okay. Now the consequence of that is that Adam received a sin nature. In contrast, Jesus being God, robed uh, himself in flesh, became a man and was obedient unto death. We are to have his mind. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So as to the nature of his incarnation, as a man he had a beginning in time. And it was the literally image of God the external form, the appearance bodily appearance of God on the earth and he was obedient even to the death of the cross unlike Adam when Adam was created in the image of God he wanted to be like God and disobeyed God and brought a sin nature into the world. So that's what's happening here Jesus is an example for us to, to be obedient to him and a servant. Okay do you understand that? All right, let's go on from, from that. then. Now, what was the reasons for the incarnation? Why did God come into the world and robe himself in flesh and become a man? What was the reason for it? The first one is to confirm the promises of salvation to the fathers. He made promises. God did that he would do this. Amen. Genesis 315, Isaiah 714. Let's go there and look. Why did God become a man? Because he promised he would. Genesis 3, verse 15. Now God is speaking here in Genesis. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what's the passage talking about? The seed of the woman. Okay. This is talking about the incarnation. The virgin birth. That when he comes to save man. He will be the seed of a woman. He will not be. Uh, have Adam's sin nature in him. Because he will be born of a virgin. The spirit of God will overshadow the virgin. And when that happens. That's when God will take on the form of a man. Virgin birth. Okay. So God made that promise. Let's go to Isaiah seven fourteen. We have the promise here in the prophet Isaiah. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin. There it is. He's going to be the seed of the woman. Behold a virgin shall conceive a woman who's never known a man. And bear a what? A son. That's the humanity. And shall call his name Emmanuel. Alright, so it was a promise, Correct go to Matthew 1 23 the fulfillment of the promise Okay, Matthew 1:23 give you a little time to turn there. Okay, it says behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth the son. That's his humanity. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. Okay? So there it is. God coming in human flesh. So we saw Jesus 100% man, but 100% God at the same time. So he came, God in flesh or the incarnation, to fulfill the promises that he made to the fathers. Second reason, to fulfill the law. What that means is that Jesus Christ came into the world, God of the flesh, and he obeyed the law completely, 100%. He never disobeyed God's word in any way, unlike Adam. Okay? So he fulfilled the law by obeying the law so that he could save those who had broken the law. Okay. Second reason why he came, to fulfill the law, to obey it and then to die for those that did not obey it. Okay. He also came in the incarnation to fulfill the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Now we're talking about the sanctuary services like the high priest. All of those sacrifices that were made to God in the Old Testament, some of them were called... A sweet savor, someone were non sweet savor. What that means is this sweet savor, uh, sacrifices made to God, covered devotion. Say sweet savor. So, because people have not been completely devoted to God, God said, All right, offer to me sweet savor offerings. And then there were non sweet savor offerings, those were dealing with sin or trespasses. So, when Jesus came into the world, he fulfilled those sacrifices. The sweet savor, dealing with devotion. Non sweet savor, dealing with sin. He's the only one that ever obeyed God completely in his life, completely devoted to the will of the Father. So, he died in our place because we haven't. And then he died for our sin as well. Does that make sense? So, he came to fulfill the types and the shadows the type of the tabernacle. We've taught you the tabernacle before. We've taught you the temple. We've taught you uh, the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, the temple of the Lord. We've taught you about the priesthood. Amen. We've taught you about the sacrifices that were made. He fulfilled all of those types and those shadows in the Old Testament. That's why he had to come uh, in the incarnation. Okay? Including the festivals, by the way. They were a type of him. That means they were a picture of him when he would come. He fulfilled them. The Psalms foretold his suffering and the glory that would follow, first Peter one, ten through twelve. And then also the prophets, Luke twenty-four, forty-four through forty-six. So he came to fulfill everything that the Old Testament says. Beginning with Genesis, all the way through the Psalms, all the way through the prophets. That's why he had to come, because it was prophesied that he would, and he came to fulfill the Psalms and the Prophets. Next, to reveal God, to show forth God not only fragments like the Old Testament saints did. He came as the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form to show us who God was. Not just to give us a glimpse of God, but to show us God in His fullness. Okay? Next, He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? He didn't come to compromise with the works of the devil. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy sin. He came to destroy the doctrines, false doctrines. He came to to destroy sickness. He came to destroy death. Okay? The works of the devil as a whole. That's why he came. To completely destroy death. Right? Darkness, sin, sickness, disease, death, bondage. Bring in the kingdom of light. First John three five and eight. Okay. He also came to live as a man, and living as a man, he came to show us how that man was intended to live. So, if you want to know what God, how God wants you to live, look at the life of Jesus. That's why he came to show you how man was intended to live. Next. To put away a uh, sin by the sacrifice of himself on the cross for our sin, and then next to bring in the new covenant. Okay, and the blue no, the new covenant is the blood covenant. Okay, now he came in that role to fulfill the old testament offices as judge. A judge is a deliverer and a savior. That Judges 2:14. And then uh, the scripture tells us he fulfilled that. He is our Savior and Deliverer. And he came as a prophet. That means the word of God to man. He's God's word to us. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. Okay. A prophet. He came as a priest. Representing man to God. A prophet represents God to man. Priest represents uh. Man to God as a mediator. He came as king, fulfilling the Davidic covenant, and he has authority over us. So he is king, he is a king priest, Melchizedek, Hebrews seven, one through twenty nine. So he came, he had to become a man, God incarnate, so that he could fulfill those offices of judge, okay, savior and deliverer, prophet, the word of God to us, priest, mediator, representing man to God and Having authority over us. Okay? And then uh, he had to come to bring in or prepare for the second coming. Now, the second coming, the first coming of Jesus prepared for the second coming. Uh, he made way for it. The first one, he came to deliver us from the penalty of sin. The second coming of Jesus is to deliver us from the power of and presence of sin. So that's Daniel 9:24 through 27, Romans 8:18 8, through 25. So you understand, he had to come the first time in order to prepare for his ability to come the second time. If he did not come the first time and die for our sin, he could not come back the second time. So his first coming prepared his second coming. His second coming is the consummation. His first coming is the beginning. Okay? Now, we're not going to cover this this morning, but just to go over it real quick, the deity of Christ, He was the eternal God, and proof of that is His attributes, His names, His works, the worship He received, and His claims. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we will deal more with the deity of Jesus, but I'm focusing on the humanity of Jesus. Why did He come incarnate as a man? And that's what we just covered. Okay. Now, as to His humanity, He was not only a complete man, body, soul, and spirit, but He was perfect in His humanity. Unlike Adam, Philippians chapter 2 tells us He became obedient, even obedient to the death of the cross. So He was a sinless man very important for you to understand that perfect sinless man now he had a human birth that means if he had a human birth that means he had a beginning as a son correct you can't have the eternal son and the begotten son at the same time if he's begotten that means he had a beginning he had a beginning at his human birth he had human ancestry okay he's linked to david Back to Adam through Mary in Luke's gospel. Okay, he's linked to David. Also to Abraham in Matthew's gospel uh, through the adopted father Joseph. So we have a true human man who had a human birth with a human ancestry. Okay? He had a human name son of man remember he called himself son of man this is one of his favorite terms about himself the son of man a human name he had a human nature it was complete we've already told told you that human development say human development he developed body soul and spirit just like a normal person from little baby on up to adulthood he grew stature. He grew in knowledge. Amen. All parts of human development, he went through that process. Okay, He was truly a genuine human being. He had to have his diapers changed just like you did. His mother had to feed him just like your mother had to feed you. His mother had to carry him around just like your mother had to carry him around. Okay. So he had, as far as his humanity is concerned, uh, he was complete and also developed. And then human infirmities. Now, remember, he didn't have sin, but as a man, he did have human infirmities. He wept, cried like a man. He wept like a man, okay? He hungered. He thirsted. He grew weary. That means he got tired. He slept. So as a complete human being, He went through the infirmities that you and I go through. But there are some differences. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Because he did not have a sin nature. He never got sick one day in his life. He never got a disease one day in his life. He didn't die like most men die. Okay? He gave up the ghost. He laid down his life. So but he was still a a complete man in the sense that he had infirmities like tiredness, thirst, hunger so on and so forth okay he needed strength just like you and I do he's playing in the garden of Gethsemane as he's praying there the bible says an angel of the lord came and strengthened him okay as a man he needed strength as a man he died on the cross God in sonship not just a man on the cross, but God in humanity died on the cross. But it was the human side of Jesus that died, not his deity. He had a human resurrection. Okay? And we will also, according to Acts 1 will have a human resurrection. And his body, he was seen bodily in Acts one going up into the heavens bodily form, resurrected body. Okay, so just like you and I will need resurrection, he had a resurrection. Okay, with me so far? Alright, so those are some things that prove his genuine humanity. Now, this question always comes up as to if he was truly human, could he be tempted to sin? And the answer, yes, he could be tempted to sin. But the question from there goes, then could he have sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? Well, in theory, in theory he could, but only in theory. Okay. As a man, if he was only a human being, if he was only like Adam, then in theory he could sin. But we we remove the theory. Because he was more than just a man. Because he was God in flesh. It was impossible for Jesus to sin. Now, the Bible talks about he's in the uh, out there in the wilderness. And the devil tempts him. Comes against him and tempts him to sin. Who is being tempted there? Well, the Bible says you can't tempt God. God can't be tempted. So when Satan came and tempted Jesus, he wasn't tempting the deity of Jesus. He was tempting the humanity of Jesus. Now, if the devil tempted him, that means to try to entice him to sin. If it was impossible for Jesus to sin, then did that make the temptation from the devil invalid? No. No. It was a valid temptation when Satan came to tempt the Lord. It was a valid temptation. But Jesus, because he was more than a man, he was God come of flesh. It was impossible for Jesus to sin. Okay, say praise the Lord. Now, the, the main thing, the most important thing for you and me is that he did not sin. Period. You want to ask the question, well, was it possible for him to sin? No, it was impossible for him to sin because he was God coming flesh. Okay? But he was tempted as a man. But what we need to know is he did not sin. He did not sin. The Bible is very clear about that. So he had a sinless human nature. Do you understand that? He wasn't born with the sin nature that Adam had or you and I have. He had a sinless nature, sinless human nature, And as a human alone, he had the capacity to sin. But as a union of deity and humanity, he could not sin. Okay? Now, he was tested by God, not tempted by God. He was tempted by the devil, but tested by God. You and I are tested by God. And what? Tempted by the devil. Okay. Jesus was tested by God. And tempted by the devil. Now. Tested as God. How was he tested. uh, Or tested by God as a man. Number one. Suffering. So when you and I are going through suffering. It is a test. Correct. You understand that. Jesus suffered. So he was tested. He was tested in the time of his suffering. He was tested when opposition came against him. He was tested by persecution. He was tested by weariness. He was tested by contradiction of sinners. Amen. He was uh, tested by contrary circumstances. Amen. The Jews came against him. family didn't believe in him. Religious leaders came against him. And his own disciples at times tested him. Okay? So he was tested by God, just like you and I are. So when you're going through a time in your life where you're suffering, opposition's coming against you, you're being persecuted, you're weary, you have the contradiction of sinners against yourself, you're in contrary circumstances, uh, various people's family, religious leaders, maybe people in the church when you have those kinds of oppositions come against you you know that Jesus also experienced those same things and that was a test from God and if Jesus in his humanity was tested by God we know we will be tested by God we're going to suffer we're going to have opposition amen do you understand what I'm trying to say to you Uh, contradiction of sinners contrary circumstances weariness family religious leaders Sometimes even people in the church, but the Bible says he was approved of God. Luke twenty two twenty eight. He was approved of God. That means that he was tested by God. If he was approved of God, that means that he passed all the tests. Okay. Now he was tempted by Satan to do evil. Mark one thirteen. He was not tempted by having a sinful nature. Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 2.18. Okay? There was no flaw within him. Does that make sense? So when Satan came to him because he didn't have a sin nature inside of him and Satan tempted him to disobey the Lord, there was nothing inside of Jesus, no sin nature, no lustful desire in him who want to fulfill those temptations. Now, when the devil comes and tempts us to do evil, he tempts us, and we can be tempted in the sin nature. There are lusts inside of us in our sin nature that the devil tempts us with. But Jesus had no sin nature. Therefore, there was nothing within him that would answer to the temptation that the, de- that the devil threw at him. Nothing in him. Okay. Remember, he's talking about that the devil came to him, but he found nothing in him. That means there was absolutely no sin nature, no lust in Jesus to answer. Okay, within to those temptations. So he's not tempted by a sinful nature, not from within. There was no lust to sin within him. Okay. Okay. Now, his deity was not tempted. James 1 13 through 14, because God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt any man. So, his humanity then was what came under attack. Okay? How did he conquer the devil when the devil came and tempted him? Well, if you look in the Word of the Lord in Matthew chapter 4, where this takes place, the temptation takes place, you will find that he defeats the devil with the word of God okay giving us an example when the devil comes and tempts us that means literally means to entice us to, to sin then we defeat him by the word of God okay he was tempted not sin you with me okay that's important he was tempted but no sin that means when the devil comes and tempts us we can be tempted you can have all kinds of battles going on in you, I do all the time you do all the time all kinds of battles, temptations going on that come from the enemy but remember this temptation is not sin okay Jesus was tempted but yet without sin so if Jesus was tempted without sin that means that when the devil tempts us it's not the same as sin it's when you yield to the sin when you give in to the temptation that's when it becomes sin so you may be under heavy heavy temptations coming from the enemy to allure you into sin against God but if you do not yield to the temptation you haven't sinned it's important sometimes you think, man, I, this is the temptation itself. You feel bad about the temptation itself. think you've sinned against God, but they're not the same. Okay. Praise the Lord, church. So Jesus did not sin, but he was generally tempted. Now, the good news is this, is that when he came as a man and walked the earth and the devil attacked him that way, tempting, tempting him to disobey the Lord. He didn't yield to that. I don't believe he could, but he still didn't do it. And God and the angels in heaven were not setting up their in suspense. They, you, kinda, he was God in the flesh, but I want you to see this in your mind. God and the angels were not in heaven held in suspense when jesus was being tempted by the devil wondering will he fail like adam they knew he would not fail okay praise the lord okay. say praise god church okay now the testimony about the holiness of jesus that he did not sin i'm going to give you a list of them number 1 luke 135 the writer in the gospel of Luke calls him that holy thing that holy thing he did not have sin in him he was pure that holy thing that was never said about any child that was ever born when you and I were born nobody ever said that's a holy thing but when Jesus was born they said of him that holy thing because he had no sin nature in him at all. That's the testimony. Okay? And that's Luke 135, that holy thing. And then Mark 124, he was called the Holy One. Even demons, demons acknowledged that. They said, You're the Holy One. That was never said about any other man. Only Jesus. That holy thing that was never said about any other child, and that holy one was never said about any other man except Jesus Christ. That holy one. Men said, Holy child, this holy child Jesus, Acts four twenty seven. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. You with me? John eighteen. Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Think about that. Judas was the devil incarnate. Even the devil had to admit that Jesus Christ was innocent. That was the testimony of the devil himself. I had betrayed innocent blood. Set the devil in flesh. When you Think about that. Judas lived with Jesus, ate with Jesus, amen? With the rest of the disciples, they slept out in the open uh, fields with Jesus. And yet, the devil watching Jesus every day of his life never heard him say one word, do one thing that was sinful. So that at the end, when Judas betrayed him, he had to admit, The devil in flesh had to admit Jesus was innocent. I had betrayed innocent blood. Now you think about that. Who could say that here today? None of us. If you were to live with me for one day, if I were to live for you one day, you would find you would have to look very hard, but you would find something wrong with me. If you live with me one day, Amen. I'd have some attitude. I'd say some word. I'd do something that was not 100% accurate. And you I'm telling you, you wouldn't have to look very hard. Judas Iscariot, the devil, looked every day for a failure in Jesus somewhere. Word, action, attitude. And at the end of Jesus' life, when he betrayed him, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. So even the devil had to testify to the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. God said testimony of God was this is my beloved son in whom I am what well pleased. Jesus said of himself. Who of you can convince me of sin? You can convince, convince me that I've sinned. Prove it. Bring the proof. He said there's nobody that could prove that he ever sinned against God. Okay. The devil had no claim to him. The prince of the world. Uh, John 14, 30. Jesus said there was nothing in him. That means there's nothing of Satan. Nothing in Jesus. There was nothing in Jesus that belonged to the devil. Nothing. No sin nature. Nothing that, that the devil was about was in Jesus Christ. Nothing that belonged to the devil was found in Jesus Christ. That's the power. Okay? When you go through the New Testament, you will see the apostles make statements about this human Jesus. Statements like there was no sin in him. Alright? No sin, not sin, without sin, apart from sin. That means separate from sin. The apostles use those terms constantly. No sin, not sin, apart from sin, without sin. The law. In the law, the animals that were brought. We start in Leviticus chapter 1, those animals that were brought to God in sacrifice, those animals were sinless. They were a type of Jesus Christ in his humanity. No animal ever sinned against God. When man sinned against God, he plunged the whole creation, okay? The whole creation is groaning and travailing. It wants that curse to be lifted. The animal creation has been affected by the sin of man, but no animal has ever sinned against God because they're not moral creatures. They're non-moral creatures. You're a moral creature, and uh, you sinned against God. I sinned against God, but no animal ever sinned against God. So every sacrifice, every animal sacrifice that was offered to God was a testimony to the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Those animals were without spot. Uh, they were substitutes. Okay? The Psalms call him the righteous one. Okay, He never prayed for forgiveness. How many of y'all read your Bible through and you ever saw Jesus say, Lord, forgive me for my sin? The fact that he never prayed for forgiveness is proof of his sinless humanity. Now, you and I have to pray. God, forgive me. Thoughts, words, deeds. Okay? But Jesus never prayed for forgiveness. Some of these things are just basic. I mean, but they don't really dawn on us. we read the Bible. He never prayed for forgiveness. Now, listen to this. He prayed for His disciples, but never with His disciples. He prayed for them, but not with them, meaning that he was on the same level. He didn't pray like they prayed. He prayed for them, but not with them. Totally different from his disciples. He never said that God was his Savior. Never said that. I say that, you say that, all of the men and women say that. But Jesus Christ never said. That God was his savior. He never offered a sacrifice. For himself. He was not conscious. Of any personal sin. Okay. Did you hear that? He was not conscious of any personal sin. Now. He was aware, conscious. He was aware of the world of sin around him. In fact, nobody has ever lived in this world that was more aware of sin around them than Jesus. Can you imagine living in a world full of sin, but yet you yourself have no sin nature, and you are completely perfect in every way, but you're surrounded by a sinful world? Can you imagine how sin affected him? I mean, if it causes you to grieve, if it causes me to grieve, how many of y'all grieve over sin? How many of you grieve over the sin of other people? If you don't, you're wrong. If you're a holy and righteous saint of God and you are a child of God, you should grieve over the sins of other people. In fact, the book of Ezekiel in the ninth chapter, the Bible tells us, That people who did not grieve over the condition of Israel, their sinful condition, were slain by God. God says, you go through the camp, and if they're not groaning, if they're not crying over the sin of Israel, they will be slain. But everybody else that groans over the condition of the church, the sinful condition of the church, says, put a mark on them, put a cross on them. They belong to me. So you and I must grieve over our sin. And we must grieve over the sin around us. Amen? We must grieve at times over the condition of our own failure. The condition of the failures of others around us. The condition of the church. If you do not do that, you will be slain. It is the mark, a distinctive mark of the righteous. And so Jesus comes into the world, but yet he is without sin. He's perfect in every way, but he's surrounded by the failure and the sin of other people. You can only imagine how he must have grieved. But he was not conscious of any personal sin. Okay. He never got sick. Wow. Only weary He never was sorrowful for his own sin. No need to be born again. You know, there's some preachers out there that said Jesus was born again. That's heresy. He was begotten from the dead. He was the first begotten from the dead. He was the first begotten son of God. But he never was born again. Only fallen humanity needs to be born again. He did not have to die because the wage of sin is death. He did not have to die, uh, but he did for you and I. Now, I want you to think about that. When he was born, he was born immortal. You and I, when we're born, we're born mortal because the wages of sin is death. But because there was no sin nature in him and he never committed sin, he was born immortal. Think about this. He could have lived forever. He could have lived forever and never died. And Luke, the ninth chapter, as Jesus is making his way to go to Jerusalem, the Bible said he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. That means there would be nothing that would turn him from the purpose uh, that he came for, and that was to die on the cross for us. And as he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem to die for us, all of a sudden, his body goes through a transformation. He's transfigured before them. The glory of God that he that flesh veiled, that glory of God that was veiled, began to radiate through him. He started going. His body, his humanity, started going through a transfiguration. And Luke chapter 9 tells you when His body started going through that transfiguration that He could have been received up. Just, are y'all with me? Never, never to die. He had fulfilled that probationary period of time on the earth as a man where He lived perfectly before God. No sin nature in Him. He never committed sin ever any area of his life and because he did not he fulfilled that probationary period of time and the Bible said he could have been received up and he started changing right there but he shut the whole process and went to the cross and died he was born an immortal being you and I were born mortal. that means subject to death of sin Amen Romans 623 the wage of sin is death he laid down his life for us that is amazing if you think about that, then if he was immortal and he didn't have to die, his body would have never, ever, ever succumbed to sickness or disease. He would have lived forever and ever and ever. Never died. Because there was nothing in him, no wages of sin, which causes death. Now we we focused oftentimes on the deity of Jesus, and, and very, very Really, honestly, very little do we focus on his humanity. But you see how important it is to understand the incarnation on the human side? This is a testimony of the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. He came as an example for us, 1 Peter 2.21 21. And we are to be really to follow his example. That literally means he was a copy something that you copy down he was a copy for us you, know, you read the verse on your own 1 Peter 2 21 he was our example he was our copy we are to copy him in the way he lived the way he prayed the way he served God see we're not to give ourselves an excuse Say, well, we're just human well, we are but Jesus came to be an example for us about how we're to live. Don't ever give yourself an excuse of, well, we're just human. Now. You and I are supposed to live like Jesus Christ lived. Now, the unredeemed man cannot do that. But the redeemed man, redeemed humanity, can follow in the footsteps of Jesus and live like Jesus lived. There's a book... Uh, Written by Robert Clark called The Christ of God, page 78 through uh, through 95. The Christ of God. We are to copy his holiness, his love, his faith, his meekness. We are to copy him in word, in print a prayer life, in teaching, in preaching, in deed. All that he did. John 4 31 through 34. Alright? He's my example. Amen. Now, church, you you don't want to use me as your example. I mean, I follow me as I follow Christ, like Paul said. But I'm not your example. Not like Jesus is. You want an example in your life. You look at him. You look at His holiness. You look at His love. You look at His faith. You look at His meekness. You look at His words. You look at His prayer life. You look at His teaching. You look at His preaching. You look at everything that He did. And the Bible tells us as to His humanity. Because He came to show us what a a man, a human being is supposed to be like. We are to follow in His footsteps and copy Him. Now I will say this again. You're not a born-again believer today. You can't do that. It is impossible for you to do that. But when you become a born-again believer and you get filled with the Holy Ghost and you have your sins remitted, you can live like Jesus Christ lived. He's our example. The purpose of the incarnation is that He might be a mediator Remember, Job cried in the book of Job. We've been preaching the book of Job on Wednesdays. Job cried for a mediator, a go-between. He said he, the term there is the a dayson. Somebody that could be a mediator. Somebody that could reconcile man back to God and God back to man. A go-between. Jesus Christ came into the world to be that go-between. The God-man as God representing God, as man representing man, bringing God and man back together, putting their hands together in reconciliation. which means he had to be God to be that mediator, to represent God. and he had to be a man to represent man. you understand me? God, as to his deity, could never die, but God in sonship, God coming in the form of a man could fulfill the cries of a man named Job or a go between. Somebody that would reconcile us back to God. And that happened. That was the purpose of the incarnation. Israel typified, or in, in the nation of Israel, Moses typified him as the lawgiver. Aaron as the priest. Amen. The priest of Israel was the mediator. He was a type of being the mediator. He, with those sacrifices, those blood sacrifice, he brought reconciliation between man and God. Possible. When you saw that high priest is a type. The word priest means bridge builder. That's what it literally means. And when you saw that bridge builder walking in the Old Testament with all his, that holy apparel upon his body and being involved with the blood sacrifices, that bridge builder, that priest was building a bridge for man back to God. And no wonder the Bible says in in the scripture number 16 through 17, if you bypassed God's great high priest, Being Aaron, if you bypassed him, judgment came on you. You and I cannot be saved if we bypass God's great high priest. Really, Aaron was the high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. He fulfilled that role of high priest, being a mediator between God and man. If you bypass that high priest of God, Bible says judgment will come. Number 16, 17. 1 Timothy 2, 5. Let's go over there real quick. For there is one God. Say one God, not three. One God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. You get it? God had to become a a man, in order to be a mediator, somebody to bring us back to God and bring God to us. He had to become a man. If God could redeem you and be a mediator, when Adam first sinned in the garden, if God could have redeemed you there, if he could have died, he would have. But God, as to his deity, could not become your mediator. That's why. Time went by, prophecies came about when he would come as a form of a man and die in sonship. He had to be God, he had to be man at the same time in order to fulfill that role of mediator. Okay. Lord willing, next Sunday morning we will teach you on the deity. Of Jesus Christ. Alright. He was 100% man. And next Sunday we'll teach you. He was 100% God. Amen. And when he came. As the last Adam. In the image of God. Having a beginning in time. When God became a man. He lived a sinless. Perfect life. In order to redeem us. Bring us back to God. His humanity. Is just as important. As his deity. Amen. So this morning. That's where we focused on it. Let's stand. Father we come before you right now. We ask your blessing. To rest upon the church. We thank you for the power of your word. The power of truth today. That sets us free. Lord we have a hope as you came in the form of a man to reconcile us back to God. We have a hope this morning, Lord, that we know just as you were tested by God, we are tested. As you were tempted by the devil, we're tempted. You're without sin. We thank you, Lord Jesus, not only being God, but for being truly God. with human body, a human spirit, and a human soul. In Jesus' name we